what the composable enterprise or composable commerce for that matter really go in and promise is the ability to actually flex and shift when those consumer behaviors do. And you need the type of technology in order to operate with the channels that emerge, where the consumers are, and also with the types of touch points that matter. So welcome everyone. Welcome everyone who's listening in to The Glass Box. Great to have you with us. So we're obviously recording this conversation at DeCongress. So what better time and place than to discuss the latest updates in the commerce space? And to do that, I'm joined by my favorite uh, SVP Global Technology, Kasper Rasmussen at Valtec. And together, we're going to be delving into topics including composable commerce, the composable enterprise, the digital enterprise, and why your commerce offering needs to be about more than just selling. So from D2C strategies to services over products, we have a lot to talk about as always, Casper. So let's go and welcome. Welcome back. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> okay. So I said there in the introduction, commerce has to be about more than just selling. Let's talk about D2C strategies. Why is it really important that companies are having a D2C strategy that works? It, it, it really starts with the relationship to the customer. This is all about creating equity, stronger bonds between brands and consumers to make sure that you shift preference. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, typically what we see with DTC strategies is that they need to focus on so much more than simply revenue because simply revenue also goes in and starts to cannibalize a lot of the existing established channels you have, yeah. for instance, wholesale or retail yeah. for that matter. So when we look at it from a DTC strategy standpoint, it really needs to be about data. It really needs to be about loyalty, advocacy, making mm-hmm. sure you get better NPS and make sure you get just more preference in the market. That also goes then in and influences some of the established channels that you may already have. Mm-hmm. It also means that the types of industries that are typically moving onto the D2C wave is really around consumer products like CBGs. It could also be around manufacturing and distribution, like typical uh, players or companies that have had more traditional B2B types of relationships in the past that are now starting to really dip their toes in the water and engage Realize directly the power, with the. Yeah engage directly with the end consumers of the products. And those end consumers have been the consumers for years, but now they're starting to get the relationship yeah. uh, directly back into them. So let's talk about the difference between a D2C strategy. What's in it for a customer, a consumer, a good D2C strategy mm-hmm. from a business, and what's in it for the business? So how does it make an impact for both of the sides of the equation? So, so typically what we see with D2C strategies is that they need to extend or strengthen what the company already brings to market. Yes. Meaning it's often not about products. It's not about just creating a different channel where you can buy the existing consumable. It's around extending that product with digital services, whether that's traditionally through subscriptions, it can be through educational content, advisory, it can be through convenience play, self-service, like you name it. But it's those types of auxiliary service offerings that we typically see being uh, the leading and winning ones yeah. with direct-to-consumer strategies. And that is really where, again, you're starting to shift the preference of the consumer to really wanting to continue to nurture and to grow the relationship with that specific brand. What's in it for the consumer? What's in it? Convenience, often. Like when you look at the, historically what, for instance, Amazon did to the North American market like 10 years ago by starting to actually ship consumables in delivery cycles and starting to do subscriptions around products that we didn't believe at that point was actually a subscription based. Like those are examples of direct to consumer types of strategies that goes in and adds something on top of the product product in itself. 
and specifically companies that also work in a market that's very saturated or where there is high competition, products can often be very commoditized. Yeah. I always use the example of toilet paper. Okay. Imagine. Get ready, everyone. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Whatever this is. Needing to differentiate on toilet paper, or it could be batteries, or it could be gasoline. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is where you see the power of digital service offerings to really augment that core product experience yeah. and making sure it becomes so much more because it can be really hard to just differentiate and compete on product alone because yeah. then it often becomes a price competition. I think a lot of businesses now are understanding and recognizing what you're talking about, the value of having a strong D2C strategy, where the disconnect happens is being able to deliver on that D2C strategy. And that's where this technical conversation comes in. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're talking about composable commerce, the idea of composable commerce and the composable enterprise as being the enabler of a really strong yep. DTC strategy. And we've just released a piece that was released in the Times this week. So a very good time to be talking about this. Tell me how you see composable commerce as being the enabler in this situation. I, I think what companies need to realize when they go direct to consumer is that it's not just about launching a new channel, nor is it about standing up e-com. Yeah. It's really about also being able to interact and connect with the consumer where the consumer is. Yeah. Meaning this is at the discretion of the consumer, not the company. It's a very, very complex ecosystem to navigate. There are lots of channels and there are lots of behavioral changes that yeah. constantly happening, that constantly happens when demographics change and when the, the power of money uh, changes too. And what the composable enterprise or composable commerce for that matter really go in and promise is the ability to actually flex and shift when those consumer behaviors do. And you need the type of technology in order to operate with the channels that emerge, where the consumers are, and also with the types of touch points that matter. Like this is where, for instance, social commerce come in. Like that's not something that you need to consider buying into. That's a place you often need to be. Yeah, you've got to do it. And it's table stakes and you need to do it. And it should yeah. not be a technology limitation, nor should it be difficult. You need the right type of technology infrastructure in order to support it, which is one piece, but then you also need the right mindset within the organization that's the other piece. It's about understanding and appreciating the unknown, the fact that the world is evolving yeah. and always changing, and it's about also daring and actually pursuing it. So yeah. you're not just sticking with the traditional channels that you think or you know actually will perform, but you need to continue to like expand your horizons as well. And that goes into some of the more emerging touch points. It goes in and catches on to the TikTok wave, it goes in and, and starts to integrate commerce into experiences or into touch points or interactions that nobody had imagined in the past. Which is perfectly positioned for this uh, topic at Decongress today. But let's split those into the two topics because you talk about the need for technical change. So let's talk about what's required from a technology perspective, the Mac technologies, how it works. What do we actually mean by composable technology? Let's talk about that first. And then after we've talked about that, let's go on to talk about how it works, like how do you shift the mindset within an organization in order to enable that to take place for, for that to happen? Because shifting your technology stack, shifting your way of working with this composable approach is much more than just a technology solution. Yep. It's a full-scale business transformation, right? So how do you make that happen? But let's start with the tech. For those people who aren't familiar with composable commerce, composable enterprise, what do we mean? So it, it stems from the architectural principles of Mach which is microservices, API first, cloud native and headless. And it's a way of thinking, it's architectural principles that give you flexibility. Mm -hmm. It gives you the opportunity to change your mind. And it also 
allows you to stand up an architecture that is not a one-size-fits-all, but is actually tailor-fit to the type of circumstance that you're in right now without yeah. that circumstance needing to be a static thing. Like It yeah. also caters and allows for the evolution that happens around it. Um, we use the Lego analogy. We use the Lego analogy. So this is literally like you can actually compose different types of Lego figures or different types of creations from Lego bricks. These Lego bricks, from a technology standpoint, we call digital capabilities. Okay. This could be around loyalty. It could be around content, personalization, those types of capabilities that you need in order to be a digital company. Yeah. And those you can reconfigure and redeploy mm -hmm. in different ways to different channels and different types of business propositions. Again, direct-to-consumer is about the unknown. It's about consumer behaviors. It's about being where the consumers are. And it's very, very important that you're not with each and every single initiative sit with the challenge of having to establish technology to serve it. You need to reconfigure and reuse the technologies you already have. And that means your technologies by nature need to be multi-use case. It needs to be headless because who knows whether this is going to be a website or not. Maybe yeah. it's even a channel that doesn't rely on the finger yeah. or doesn't rely on, yeah. on that type of interaction. It could be IoT and, and, and so forth and so forth. And it needs to be just multi-use case. It needs to be really appreciative of being used in different types of circumstances or situations. And for people who maybe are, this is just new to them, this whole composable approach, and they might be more comfortable with the enterprise suite technologies that we historically talk about more and more of, of the, the norm of the past, shall we say. Yep. They might say, look, I've invested a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of people in having this enterprise technology. Does that mean that I can't achieve what I want to achieve with Mac? How do they? How do the two work together? Yeah, we do not look at it as being binary nor religious. We do believe that there are absolute space and place for hybrid yeah. situations where you create flexibility and agility in places where it matters. Yeah. To your company. Yeah. Like earlier today, we talked about um, Dolby and how Dolby is grounded in and optimized the DXP with all of the different types of capabilities that that offer, but it's also extended and augmented by Mach and true composable architecture those thinking. Extra value add elements. And those were the extra value add differentiating elements for D2C that could actually flex and be used in different types of ways for different mm -hmm. types of use cases. So just because you're sitting with a one-size-fit-all or a, a suite turnkey type of a solution today does not mean you can't start to extend it yeah. or transition, in, transition into something that's a bit more composable and flexible over time. It's honestly what we see being the primary starting point for most yeah. because starting to migrate and move from one to the other overnight is a very, very difficult type of shift and change because like we'll get into in a minute, it equally requires that mindsets, yeah. beliefs, and behaviors internally from an organizational standpoint is changing too. And we know how slow moving that type of change can be as well. <laughs> yes, we do. Definitely we do. But it's interesting as well because these enterprise suites, they're also embracing this too, right? If we look yeah. at Optimize Use here today, they've made some really interesting decisions in the last few months to help support their yeah. composable uh, capabilities, should we say. Yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting to see how, and it's ranging from the Adobe's through the site course and the optimizers of the world, where the notion of Mach and composability makes its way into what we yeah. historically have seen as being more traditional yeah, and potentially monolithic types of architectures. But again, it's because nobody will ever say no to flexibility and agility. Yeah. And I think it's very, very important that even these types of players also allow for architectures that are ready to change. Because historically, that is what technology, unfortunately, has prevented 
the flexibility of go to market, the flexibility yeah. of the business yeah. and the propositions needing to move fast. Now technology can finally be an enabler <laughs> of yeah. it actually happening overnight, which is the the the, the secret source the we've been looking for uh, yeah. for for many 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 years, and which is is extremely important. We talked earlier about the fact that this requires organizational change. Yeah. Again, for businesses or brands that are considering this new approach, that are looking to be more flexible, more adaptive, be able to hit their target audiences in a, in a different way. What do they need to do within their organizations to make themselves ready for a composable enterprise? There needs to be, and this is the standard answer, there needs to be customer obsession or customer centricity. There needs to be an appreciation for why are we doing it. Yeah. And that is ultimately to satisfy the customer. And it's ultimately to drive what I said in the beginning, that brand equity or strengthening the relationship to the end consumers. There needs to be some level of data centricity. Because these types of approaches or architectures will also make sure that regardless of the type of touchpoint, whether it's your website, your mobile apps, it could be your loyalty platforms, it could also be point of sale or retail, it's the same technology suite that powers it. And it also means that you're suddenly starting to actually get a single source of truth as it pertains to the type of data that you're mm -hmm. funneling through, whether it's transactions or it's tracking or it's, it's some of the, the, the data or the attributions that you do. So data centricity is important too. And then the overall mindset and appreciation of, of agile, first and foremost, meaning yeah. the future is by nature unpredictable. Yeah. And we will allow ourselves to make the right choices along the way. And then also product centricity. And yeah. product centricity as a mindset comes in, you need to do less projects that are one-off and then operate it. You need to be more product oriented and actually want to evolve your investments over time and really continue to expand and improve those digital experiences or those tools or capabilities that you're developing. Like again, when you're starting to go in and, and do capabilities around, it could be ordering or transaction or payment or, or um, loyalty. Yeah. You want to make sure that that is a thing that you constantly evolve and sustain over time. You want to make sure that as you activate touch points on it, there is no risk of it going away. You need to make sure that you constantly hone it you evolve it, you protect it, and you also have governance around it to make sure it doesn't run off on a tangent. It needs to really be in the spirit of the greater good for all of the types of activations that run off it. I want to talk about the challenges. I want to be, talk realistically about the challenges that companies might face if they start to think about taking this approach, because it's not easy. No. Like we talk about it as this great, uh, this great solution. It is. It, it, it's not even a solution approach. It is a great approach, but it's difficult. And there are also going to be challenges along the way. And from all of the clients and the projects that you've worked on, what are those challenges that come up time and time again? Are people worried about budget? How much it's going to cost to take this approach? Are people worried about you might be going from the enterprise suite where you're dealing with one partner, one point of contact to suddenly multiple part? How do you manage that ecosystem? Because this composable approach could be seen as increasing the complexity of what you're trying to do and yep. no one wants that but i think and and i think that is the the crux of the main complexity that exists it is the shifting your mind from having a single partner a single platform a tool of choice yeah and this tool is is likely a hammer because it needs to be able to do many things yeah absolutely what we're doing now is we're building out a toolbox with many different tools in it tools that actually does a very specific job very well and 
I think just navigating the fact that you need to manage your vendors, you need to create your own compositions. This is where the notion of, of best of breed or best for you come in, like yeah. the actual tool for the job based on the type of maturity that you also have right now. Like that complexity of finding out where to start, but also where you're heading, meaning future back, what does this architecture for us actually look like? I think that is the biggest challenge to overcome because historically it has been much more about re-platforms. It's been much more about migrations yeah. where now we talk about this is a transition that you're making. Again, I don't think anyone should start and say, let's just rip and replace and go full machen composable. Yes. Because it is a very, very difficult thing to do. We need to find the best possible way to actually, mig to actually transition mm -hmm. into this type of an approach over time. And often, if you move away from suites or more traditional monolithic solutions, you start to actually carve out responsibility from that solution and start to delegate that out to a best of breed or to one of these new composable components. And then, as you can imagine, as you carve out more and more, the composable stack will start to emerge. But it needs to be done with a vision. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it needs to be done based on a strategy. And I think balancing the, the tactics of actually facilitating the transition with also having the maturity to establish the vision and the strategy for what is this going to do? How are we going to use it? Again, it can't be about just a single econ website because then the TCO will likely not be there. So typically, we're talking about supporting channel proliferation and really emerging um, touch points. We're talking about potential multi-use case with it could be a big CPG having multiple consumer brands that they want to activate D2C mm -hmm. uh, types of propositions for, yeah. but it could also be global companies that want to expand uh, technologies geographically, but want to make sure that they have appropriate flexibility to also be market fitting. So it's running a centralized yet decentralized strategy from a IT standpoint. There are many different types of strategies you need to have in mind as you're making these choices, as you're embarking on this type of transition. And I think all of the decisions you need to make to get started, I think that is really what's what's complicating the early days of the process. And it's also one of the, the places where we really fit in because that's where we also help our clients really understand why we're we doing it and also equally importantly, how. Yeah. How are we taking on the approach of the transition? Yeah, that's so important, bring, bringing everyone along on the journey with us and, and understanding exactly why we're we doing this in yeah. the first place. Why does this make sense? Let's talk about an example for those people who perhaps didn't manage to catch our discussion earlier around the Dolby case. Maybe we can use that as a cracking example of why this makes sense, how it works. Maybe you could bring the people listening at the moment up to speed with, with that case. What was yeah. so powerful for Dolby? Yeah, so with the danger of re repeating myself too much. <laughs> we'll um, assume it's a different audience. Yes. <laughs> so in, in moving from the ingredient brand they were into the experience brand they are today, one of the things that was extremely important for them was to go direct to consumer. So kind of following the theme of, of everything we've talked about here, it also means that, yes, one step of the way was to make sure that they had a consumer-centric experience online in regards to the Dolby brand, the purpose, mm -hmm. what they can do for their, mm -hmm. for, the, for their customers and what it really means to be in Dolby and all of that. But there has also been a number of, of propositions and activations along the way that required a ton of flexibility, that required capability that Dolby did not have and Dolby could not buy. And this is really where Composable and Mach came into play when we started to talk about streaming services, when we started to talk about exclusive events and RSVPs, when we started to talk about 
some physical experience space integrations back into did you interact with this experience and, and, and how can we collect data from it? So we found a lot of ways to really activate the technologies that mm -hmm. we delivered. Mm -hmm. And we de delivered these technologies with the intent of being used in multiple different situations. Mm -hmm. So really with that multi-use case yeah. mindset. Did it mean it was across the entire stack? Absolutely not. This because is an like optimizely I said, client, right? Like I said just earlier on, it's an optimizely client. And of course, optimizely is more of a suite end-to-end yeah. -end type of an approach. But we found the way to create true flexibility and agility for how these types of capabilities are being used in the right places. And that was very much around their definition of content, which is more titles and episodes and movies and, and tracks and those types of things, but also around how that actually gets delivered over the internet with streaming and entitlement and do you have rights and access to the content and all of those types of, of features. That is really where we use Mach technology in order to go in and and allow for it to be used in different types of situations. So for people who are listening to this conversation and wondering what are the very tangible next steps that they need to take, if they think that this could make sense, where do they start? I think it starts in the very beginning with, of course, there needs to be a, a fundamental shift in how you do business. Meaning direct-to-consumer, for instance, could be a natural trigger of needing to get into a situation that allows for more agility and flexibility. Yes. You need to work with your organization, meaning the way you set goals, the way you actually work with data around those types of goals. For instance, the Dolby case we talked about earlier was not about revenue. That was about brand perception. It was about yeah. NPS, brand preference. Suddenly that starts to matter a lot to a very B2B oriented company where they have not been exposed to those direct metrics. They have not been tracking those. Yeah in regards to yep. how they, they, they see whether they're on track or not. And it goes in and really impacts those types of metrics too. So the mindset around how you use data and what you see success looking like mm -hmm. also needs to shift. And then I think it also comes down to, you need to understand, and this is equally around D2C, how do you do difference? How do you differentiate both from your com competitors, but also from your, let's call it existing and core offerings? One of the things that we typically don't want to see is the risk of cannibalization. Businesses simply moving revenue from a traditional wholesale channel into a direct-to-consumer channel because net-net, yes, there is a margin to collect, but it's not true growth of a company. Mm -hmm. We need to find out like those actual differentiating propositions of D2C that make sense in combination with the core product yes. that they're also trying to push regardless of where that core product is being bought from or how it's being consumed. These are the types of, of, let's call it questions or tasks that companies should give themselves before they go into direct-to-consumer specifically. And I think based on what you find as being, for instance, the success criteria, we will also figure out where is the best place to start? What type of channel? What type of experience? What types of tools do you need? And ultimately, how do we support that grander ambition, the vision, the strategy of yours, and also understanding a future back or understanding the long-term uh, type of architecture that you also need to uh, to move towards. Kasper, I think this is an amazing whistle-stop tour into the composable enterprise, composable commerce, what it means for businesses, what it means for consumers. We've got loads of content about this on all of our channels if people want to hear more, or if you do have an opportunity to speak to Casper and want to speak to him about more, then please do describe him after this conversation. Otherwise, Casper, thank you so much. You're Always a pleasure. Welcome. Yeah, indeed. Thank you.
You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtech Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>